Hello, listeners, and welcome to the lockdown series of the British Academy of Jewelry podcast. I'm Sophie Boons, and today I have invited another inspirational guest to join me in a remote discussion on what the future of jewelry may hold, particularly in response to this new reality we're all facing. Our relationship with objects and our desire to touch things freely has been part of a shifting narrative. This in addition to the continually increasing importance of our digital self in a time of social distancing are revolutions that are about to have an impact on jewelry. To discuss these contemplative ideas, I have invited jewelry designer and researcher Daria Popolitova. Uh, welcome Daria. Hello. Daria, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm an artist and uh, my practice includes uh, contemporary jewelry, digital craft and video. I'm also teaching and doing uh, a PhD in Estonian Academy of Arts and uh, at the moment I'm working on my exhibition that will be opened in two and a half weeks <laughs> and uh, it will be about internet culture, magic, societal values and jewelry interesting so where is the exhibition yeah it's it's uh, in tallinn at freedom square event space project room and uh, yeah it will be part of my phd so it will be peer reviewed and and it will include some kind of academic procedure <laughs> but of course it also lives its own life so and have you had any difficulties with the coronavirus pandemic with the with the show or has it been okay and are you able to just continue as normal uh well i've been making uh, selfies with jewelry <laughs> it's just my favorite genre recently to create these mini worlds so yeah i really enjoyed this process it's just so quality time for, for myself uh, I just improvise at the spot. I don't know. Uh, I think it's similar to some dramaturgy uh, than to a jewelry making, of course, because I think about the effects, what I want to see in the com complete picture, you know. But yeah, surprisingly, I was very busy too. And I was even glad uh, to that, that everyone sit at home because there is no this FOMO anymore, you know. And since it is, it is the busiest time of the year for me in academic sense and in artistic, I have solo exhibition and I have duties to the doctoral school. So it is very fine for me psychologically. So what made you decide to go into jewelry and then also look into research in the field? So I think I just got under the, the influence. Uh, yeah, I just got influenced. The, the very first impression from our jewelry world uh, when I got a book of Tanel Venere. Uh, into my hands <laughs> and I just became absorbed by it. Then I went to Bratislava as an Erasmus student and due to the school rules, it was 2011, it was possible to choose any art direction and uh, I was officially at Glass Art. But in Bratislava I also chose jewelry. Yeah, the department is, was under Karel Weislechner uh, and, and the atmosphere there and uh, his iconographic, magical, ironic vision just, just got me. And after in Tallinn already, another important uh, event affected my desire to continue with jewelry. It was the exhibition of Air Castle. This is uh, a group of Estonian jewelry artists and they put the show in the lighthouse. 
near to Estonian Art Museum in Tallinn. And, and it was just so amazing, <laughs> very mysterious with colorful lights inside, jewelry were exposed chaotically. So basically what attracted me, I think it's in general, what attracts people to any art field is not just a jewelry or a painting or, or a poster, but what, what happens around it, you know, exhibitions, books. So you were drawn to the context as much as to the specific subject. Uh, right, yeah, I was just like a, like a sponge absorbing everything. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's important to, to stay um, affected, you know, in order to produce effect. And would you say, because you've, you've obviously then had a different trajectory than usual, so you went into glass art, you have, you have an artistic background, do you think that gives you a different outlook on the field as well? It was much easier to be a jewelry department when you know some, some kind of rules and working methods with different material, like, uh, you know, this, all, all these techniques, uh, for example, like cutting stones. It was very uh, easy for me <laughs> since I was doing it with, with the diamond wheels, uh, with glass. You are working towards your PhD at the Estonian Academy of Arts. Can you tell us what your research is about? So the aim of my PhD artistic research is to investigate the effect of cinematic image of jewelry on viewers. How people react to the moving images of jewelry. So in my creative practice, um, I, I make rather an image rather than an actual object. Yeah, I achieve this by showing a jewelry close to the skin while interacting with it by hands, showing how jewelry functions. Um, and in my theoretical part, I rely on such concepts as haptic visuality, which I borrowed from media and cinema theory. It is the quality of audio-visual image to call in our bodies sense of touch, smell, or taste. It can, it can sound very kind of uh, meta, <laughs> but, but it, it, it is actually uh, in cognitive psychology, it's also been researched. And, but I, I, I was more into the media and in, in cinema theory. So according to Laura Marx, for, for instance, uh, low resolution blur or close-ups, images of textured objects can create this haptic effect. And uh, in my research, haptic visual visuality works in combination with jewelry. So I create jewelry, yes, to be mediated and to be presented to the viewer as a representation. So there is a jewelry and there is an image, but the work itself, it's, it's the image. And outside of this image is just a jewelry, yeah, because uh, the jewelry uh, becomes a work when it is shown through the moving image and, and when I apply my performative skills as well, and, and also narrative, you know, what you're saying is that you want to make images of the work and that in the end, the piece actually only becomes activated by the fact that it is now part of an image and a story and a narrative. You contextualize it and then it 
continues perhaps as a piece. Yeah. What about the way people see it? Is it something that people could access through a computer screen or do you produce photographs or how does that work? Actually, I use physical space for performing. People need to be there. Uh, well, and it's, it's, an, it's an, an about an experience uh, between the viewer and the screen. And the material conditions are very important. It will definitely be another experience if a person saw my works through the like Facebook feed. It's different qualities, right? I use very various tactile materials and shapes in my jewelry, for example, silicone, sharp shapes, cosmetic brushes, <laughs> uh, and, and also material sources are found in my media works, like uh, close-ups, you know, this extreme macro uh, regime. I'm curious what, what people are, how people are reacting to, to, to these images, because like jewelry as an exhibition object, right? It's very often limited by sight. And I think uh, Namita Gupta uh, Wiggers also mentioned it in one of her writings that the, the jewelry is made for wearing and, and for a body, but when it's uh, in, in the exhibition room, it, be it becomes disembodied, right? And so I was curious, if I show the jewelry through the screen, would it uh, refer to a body more? <laughs> How, as, as um, paradoxically it could sound, but... Interesting. Is there any preliminary findings that you can already share with us that you think could be significant to know? For example, in, in my previous exhibition, I have interviewed three uh, people and uh, yeah, the sample was uh, chosen purposefully. And yeah, there were all people who, like firstly, visited the exhibition, of course, and then secondly, somehow connected to, to the performativity, uh, video and the digital realms. What was the most inter interesting for me, that the people were more inclined to operate with their memory and uh, associations while describing the experience of watching the videos. For example, when watching how a ring in the shape of a fingernail with a silicone bends against the screen, one of the responses was that it reminded me of, of some uh, sculpture lesson. Yeah, H how it is like to feel the silicone. So there was some kind of recordings in the brain, how it might be. And it means that our tactile memory uh, and, and also a vision and, and our sensations are based on, on the tactile experiences that have been fixed during the life, right? Such keywords as clean feeling, for example, right? Or I lived through the most, yeah? It was said about, uh, about one piece, uh, a brooch uh, that, that had a needle in it and I pricked uh, a, uh, a skin with it. So it's all like based on an empathy, yeah? How we see it also determined like culturally, right? So, so I just realized that the, the articulation about the experience is larger about, about the possibility of touch, yeah? Like memories of the things being touched and emotions from the tactile experiences during the participant's life. So it's like a phenomenological approach. Yeah, so in theory, they're tapping into as if a library of memories of, of tactile experiences and they're 
applying that to what they are seeing and therefore the emotion is enhanced. Mm -hmm. So you would say that there is a significant difference between seeing an object lying on the table flat or seeing an object in a film, in a context, that that completely can change the way we feel the object, even though we don't feel it. I also want to, to include like this jewelryness, you know, <laughs> the, the history of the jewelry and where are they like connecting? Yeah. And it is very interesting because jewelry by default is very tactile, right? It is so close to the body, to the, to the skin and all the manual process of making jewelry. It's already has this tactility in it. And then plus haptic visuality, it becomes such a saturated concept, right? Yeah, what I was thinking in my second exhibitions, where the touch, jewelry and the image meet. And uh, I found them in a new internet genre, vlog genre on YouTube, where people are making magical rituals and telling stories about their, about the paranormal circumstances they're eyewitnessing. But of course, it's all fictional. But it is so interesting phenomena for me because a part of the, of the fact that there is a, a lot of stylistical elements that is similar to internet culture, this tutorial-like narrative, and then tactile interactions. Here I mean um, the phenomena of ASMR. These are uh, short videos. People are cutting soaps or smashing slime. And uh, actually it is very often accompanied with, uh, with a audio material. It's thought that these kind of videos can produce sensorial output in, in, in people's psychophysical conditions. So it it can bring pleasure, for example. Yeah, basically it's about the the pleasure, some some kind of pleasure. Yeah, and I was thinking, uh, what could I solve on my imaginary YouTube channel with magic, right? And with jewelry. Instead of uh, roots or uh, uh, frog skin, there will be jewelry. So I decided to to, uh, solve some societal values with it but while using this kind of tactile interaction that are very common to the internet stylistics it's it's all about the rich history of the jewelry connecting it with with the nowadays narratives combining them yeah i think yeah jewelry here just has a so great potential it has so, so great history and and it's it, as an artist you have a a great opportunity to use uh, the metaphorical thinking interpretations. Yeah, oh, I'm just so excited about this topic and, and, and tactility. You have recently also published an article with your co-author Sofia Halik, Digitally Produced Jewelry, Tactile Qualities of the Digital Touch in the Journal of Artistic Research. The topic very much linked to your PhD and actually also uh, linked to Sofia's PhD, Uh, seems more than ever relevant. Can you tell us what the article was mainly trying to promote and why you decided to write it together? So we speak there about those artists who, uh, roughly speaking, use pixels as their material to create jewelry. And we understand the materiality in this article while relying on Lev Manovich's book, 
language of new media and we understand it as as a mediated through the screen materiality and it can be extracted sorted saved to a computer folder and handled through a software so the, these pixels can after become a physical jewelry like to be 3d printed in a silver bioplastic or or some other material or alternatively the jewelry could stay digital and do not leave the frame of the screen and and to adorn an online identity so this pixels can become physical jewelry and this physical jewelry can become digital back and this is also exactly in, in my case i make jewelry by means of soft, software then printing it and then again returning it to the screen by filming so it is kind of circle tra trajectory. So in my part of the article, I came to a conclusion that tactile qualities are, are the, the body's essential experience of the artist and of the viewer. So that the tactility is localized there in the embodied gaze, right? So because, because actually uh, for a long time, the, the spectator at the cinema was seen uh, as, as a passive, but actually uh, a, a gaze as a part of the body. Yeah, we can't see, we can't observe any like movements or, or body uh, changes because everything is happening inside, right? Yeah, and it's, it's also about the creative process when, when an artist uses a software and a laptop for creating a jewelry, because yeah, obviously it's, it, everything is based on, on, on a gaze, on a look, on a click, and on inner sensation. The article talks about the digital self. Having been forced at the moment, a lot of us in the UK are still communicating with each other through digital media. At the moment, we are having a digital conversation. Do you think that the digital self is now becoming even more important? And if so, what does that mean for jewelry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is very um, important, especially for the generation who grown along the internet. It, it's the thing about, you know, the production of the content as well, right? If we see how from, from the state-funded information production, we move towards individual content production. And it's all about having a body as well, right? And, and, and digital self has, has this body. And it's a perfect place, perfect site for, for jewelry, a body. <laughs> what could be a better place, right? And a site for adorning one's body in the digital environment. So the artists become their own media producers. Some words from Kelly Riggs uh, came, are coming to my mind in her article yeah, about the internet artists. She said that fashion and art jewelry the internet doesn't care about these categories anymore. Uh, so it becomes very interesting mixture uh, where the physical jewelry influence the image and vice versa, right? The image influence the production of the physical jewelry. As I said, <laughs> like a selfie making, right? You, you think about all these cosmetic effects, about this, everything that is happening around, around the, the, the jewelry, about the representation, about, about how you perform to the, to the world, about the, the opportunities of, of exp to express yourself being a jewelry artist through the visual realms, right? 
in the article you reference some artists who are creating work i believe they have made filters and things that are only to be worn by our digital self what are your thoughts on this evolving even further so yeah if to see at, at, at the current obsession uh, magazine they are really embracing the the realms of, of the digital and and if to see the galleries they're also um, investing to the to the different platforms it's just the, the 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 reality and i think people will adapt quickly especially in this time of the of the of the situation, world situation right now. It could seem very scary at some point. But but I think and I believe that, that contemporary jewelry as a reflective field, it will produce some intriguing works in these circumstances. It always looks back at itself and, uh, and at the situation it occurs. You know, the, the recent book of uh, Marian Unger, uh, came to my mind. Uh, she's um, talking about the jewelry values there, and I think there was some uh, even less encouraging uh, uh, sentence in her book. Something like, you know, that that jewelry artists are adopting the working methods of visual artists, uh, and they're like uh, not paying any attention to the to the wearability of the pieces, but, but jewelry will not, will never become a, a visual art, autonomous visual art. Even, even then, then the boundaries between they may be blurred. But you know, I just know that in my case, the value of my work is not measured in, in, in the approval of, of the applied or visual art, but measured by the, by the time invested in exactly in blurring of the boundaries, you know, that in, in, in her light gets kind of secondary importance. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's sometimes also important to have the authors to argue with. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting, yeah, different, um, yeah, to bring, to bring different visions about it, right? Because like Schmuck, will my work, will my video work uh, go through the, through the uh, committee of Schmuck. No, because they they don't have they don't get this the very first criteria to be tangible. <laughs> it's very interesting the fact that we think jewelry today has to be tangible, when in fact tomorrow it might no longer have to be. In conclusion, you say something really beautiful, and I'm gonna uh, paraphrase it. I'm gonna just say it out loud. Jewelry manufacturing by means of digital technologies gives birth to new types of tactility that are intrinsic to the work with the screen or the machine. Tactility does not only define the ability to perceive or be perceivable with the touch. This sounds really promising. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? So gaze, look, is not an autonomous or disembodied. It belongs to the, the whole sensorium and therefore can sometimes operate as an organ of touch so um, i think this is the 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 point like the phenomenological underground um that what that we taken into the our article and to to try to think about the tactile jewelry through through other sense 
not through the hands, but also through the gaze and also through the look that had sometimes secondary uh, position in jewelry uh, art. Okay, in your research, have you seen any pioneering artists and designers whose work is, you think, of particular relevance today? You've mentioned a number of things already, but is there some mm -hmm. work or artists we should really have a look at? Um, well, I would say that I keep an eye on uh, those jewelry artists who embrace the borders of visuality <laughs> and irony and uh, reflect on nowadays through the kind of stylistic oddity and weirdness. Yeah, like for me, not just only about like uh, ultimately digital world you know because uh, yeah for me like digital is more it needs some kind of narrational structure in order to be powerful right so uh, i like this kind of combinations uh, of of very kind of raw very natural with with the, with the digital and uh, yeah i love work of uh, simon Mar marsilia who uh, yeah how he approached the jewelry he creates different fictional characters for, for his pieces. And, and the character uh, is himself. So he uses uh, his body. A lot of performative and post-production works. Also Nadia Butendorf. I like her ironic style, how she engages with everyday objects through the image and, and materials, different materials, and how she stretches the meanings of, of the... Uh, everyday materials and also some separate works come to my mind for example one of Ted Norton's at Stedelijk Museums I don't remember from which year exactly I think it is the beginning of 2000 uh, but uh, he was asked to show his golden pig ring in, a, in an unusual way so for this he put the ring on the hand on a cashier selling tickets and he's video recording her hand movements, like manipulations with money and customers. And the video with the cashier's voice above was played in real time at the show in the museum. So I think, uh, yeah, it's a very unusual way to show <laughs> the ring, right? And so this kind of experimental um, approach, like uh, if to take the least than bestance so, uh, book, uh, on jewelry, this one section in the book is dedicated to the to the photography and, and the jewelry, and she is explaining how art photography impacted the uh, jewelry art, uh, and also the different approaches in photography, like photography um, as a documentation tool and as a, a research tool, as a kind of conceptual way of showing jewelry and also combining jewelry with art photography, like with the different like bodies and also artists starts to explore their, their own bodies. And actually what we see now, it's, it is a continuation of this are making selfies now, <laughs> right? They also use their own bodies. If anyone li listening is really interested in all of the topics you're touching upon, you have already recommended some books, but is there another book that you say is really a must read if you're interested in, in sort of the digital and the, the physical and touch? 
Well, uh, certainly current obsession, the seventh issue. Yeah, um, and um, it's classics, uh, Merleau-Ponty, Phenomenology of Perception. I mean, like my favorite, <laughs> the, the, the main author uh, I rely upon is Laura Marks, and the book is called Touch, Sensuous Theory and Multisensory Media. William Flosser, uh, he's a philosopher, and he had this concept uh, as a techno-imagination. So he's, he was speaking about that uh, while looking at the image of the airplane, we are not looking at the airplane, but we are looking at the development of the camera at, at the particular period of time. So we look at the airplane from the perspective of the technology, how the, the camera was depicting this airplane. So we yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting also to see it at jewelry field, right? Uh, uh, look at the old catalogs. Like in 80s, the jewelry were depicted like against this dark, dramatical background, like a sculpture, like a monumental sculpture. Then like, I'm not talking about the black and white pictures, like from 60s, when there is no, like only noise, <laughs> only like black. And, and this is how we perceive jewelry, yeah, through the publications, through a page, like uh, in general sense. And now there is HD pictures. They're so sharp, they're ex extremely detailed, right? Against this triumphal white background. And uh, um, uh, well, how far sharper could we go? Yeah, how, how sharper could, could we go? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the, like three, 3D manipulations and uh, the, the rendering and the imitation of the material. Um, I believe Estonia has already lifted some of its lockdown restrictions, but you have also been locked down. You mentioned already that you've been really busy and that you have taken it as a positive thing happening. What do you think is the main thing that you might take away from lockdown? Have you had any reflections or things on, on how life is different when you work this way? <laughs> I think for, for me, the COVID time is, is uh, a journey through my room, you know, <laughs> discovering my, my uh, room again, you know, the, the old books uh, and the materials. And yeah, and it's all it's all about screen <laughs> yeah because when you're on lockdown you're making making things um through this medium i wonder whether it's new, this new reality we all have been forced to adapt to will bring about new changes to our evolution and perhaps most interestingly whether tactility can become further considered in the digital realm of craftsmanship particularly if there is such a thing as adorning a digital self or appreciating digital textures. For now, I would like to say thank you so much to Daria Popolitova, who joined me from Estonia for this very thought-provoking uh, discussion. Thank you so much, Daria. Thank you. Next week, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. For now, this was Sophie Boons for the lockdown series of the BAJ podcast titled Tactile Qualities of the Digital Touch with Daria Popolitova. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>